Hello. Hi. Hey. Happy New Year. Yeah, happy New Year. Happy January 14th. Yeah. Do you have a lot of uh, snow? Um, we've got some. Um, this is a combination of the wind blowing it around. It's not. So you got a big drift, but not. Vis well, visibility is pretty bad out yeah. there. Um, but uh, maybe like six or seven inches or something like that. Uh, is it supposed definitely... to get worse though? Um, they canceled I don't know about the. Worse, but they canceled we've... the game today. Yeah, they postponed it. Yeah. That sucks. Uh, I mean, well, it's only one day. Yeah, but they made it on a work day. That sucks, and it's during the day. Uh, a lot of people have tomorrow off, though. I don't know Tom about that. Tomorrow's a holiday <laughs> for a lot of people. I mean, I'm, 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 <clears throat> a, I'm in the 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 world of government employees, and I don't have the day off. Oh, really? I mean, I'm not in the world of government employees, and I have it off. Um, we don't have President's Day or Veterans Day, but, but we get tomorrow off. Uh, um, I think I think tomorrow is still a pretty common day for people to have off, um, you know, um, compared to some of the holidays that have gone past. But, um, yeah. And I guess it. I guess time zones make a difference too. Like here, it's a 4:30 game. Um, yeah, if you're in Mountain Time, it's 2:30, so it's yeah not good. And if you're California time, that's even worse. Pacific. Yeah. Normally, yeah, it's a little payback though. I mean, normally you the have to West stay Coast up has late. it. Yeah. Yeah, and the West Coast usually has it good. <laughs> But uh, I don't watch it anyway, so I don't care when it's on. <laughs> but um, yeah, I'm Weather Channel says we take have take off a couple hours oh, yeah. so I can watch it because Buffalo's my team. Right. Yeah, it's according to the Weather Channel, we've had eight inches, and we're gonna get another, possibly another sixteen inches in the next twenty-four hours. So I guess. You could, yeah, I guess it could. You could say it's gonna get worse. Yeah, I thought that's why they moved it, cause they projected it to be worse. <clears throat> they were asking people. They don't call it Rich Stadium anymore, do they? No. But I'm gonna call it Rich Stadium, cause that's where I grew up with. So, the Rich Stra <laughs> Stadium. It. They were asking for volunteers to. Uh, <laughs> To go shovel snow at twenty bucks an hour. I know, I saw that. <laughs> during like during overnight, like yeah. you know, during the night. Um Yeah, no, right now it's I mean there's a driving van right now, so um and it would definitely be unsafe for people to be traveling out there and trying to go to the game and stuff. I haven't heard of that. A drive a dr driver ban? What does that mean? Oh yeah, we have them all the time here during storms. You're not allowed to be. You can get um, pulled over and fined for being on the road in your car. You're not allowed. So to... does that does that mean during the driver ban that you don't go to work? Like, uh, 
if you yeah. work fast food or grocery store or yeah most of those businesses would be closed most likely ah most stuff right here is closed right now um so usually if, if there's a driving ban then businesses are closed um there's exceptions you know for like emergency um, room and stuff emergency like that. workers and stuff like that and certain <coughs> mission critical like people yeah but uh, otherwise it's partially to keep cars off the road so that the plows can keep up with the um clearing the clearing the roads um and also for safety reasons because people will if there isn't a driving ban there's going to be people that make the wrong decision and go out for the wrong reasons and then they end up stuck and then people have to go out to save them yeah that's um, true. from themselves so we don't yeah, have it's... we don't have that here we have cold reporting status and um which means that the police won't show up for an accident but um mm. we don't have anything like we're blocking the you know you'll get cited for being out on the street. Yeah. It's, um, you know, whenever there's real bad weather, you know, so maybe a few times per winter we'll have driving bans. Um, but yeah, they, they only started at nine o'clock last night. Um, and, uh, right now I think they're, through, they're just going to kind of evaluate throughout the day whether they're going to lift it or not. Are you still pretty much work from home, or are you going to yeah. the office every now and then? No, 100%. Yeah. Uh, uh... About like four years ago. I still work for the same company, but about four years ago, um, I transitioned to a different position with the company that wasn't associated with the office I used to work out of. And yeah. And then during the pandemic, they closed that office anyway. So there's not even an office to go to if I wanted to. <laughs> but um, yeah, my whole job, like everyone in my job, and um, as every as everyone's remote. So, and um, you know, it has its positive and negatives, but. One of the nice things about the job change is my current job is a little more interactive with other people. There's a lot more communication. Um, whereas before I really worked on my own all majority of the time and uh, would kind of have days where I didn't really communicate with other people very much. Um, and being at home, that can get a little isolating. But now, you know, I'm, I'm communicating with other team team members and outside people and uh, everything like that on a day-to-day -day basis. Um, most of my job well, if is you're, if, communication. If you're, if you're working at home, how often do you get out of the house a week? Uh, I'm just I, I'm just curious. <laughs> yeah, I don't get out of the house a lot, um, and that's just probably more personality um, or preference on my part, you know. I imagine some people that work at home make a point to like go places in the evening and stuff like that. I, I probably only get out of the house a couple times a week. Ah. Which generally is I'm fine with. Um, it kind of, I probably get out a little bit more when the weather's nicer. Yeah. And I spend uh, more time 
like in the backyard and we have a sunroom on the side of the house. I spend a lot of time there in the nice weather. Um, to sort of be outside and go for walks and stuff like that. So I get out a lot more for walks and stuff um, just to get fresh air and sunlight and nature and stuff like that during once the weather gets nicer. But so you can't you go out that, today because you yeah. get arrested if you were out there walking. A policeman well, could stop there. you? I don't know. I, I think it's just – I think technically they wouldn't. Um, I think it's – all just has to do about being in a vehicle on the roads but uh, I don't think it would be safe to be out there but uh, yeah so I guess if, if you can't go on for walks and stuff I, I when the weather's nice enough to do that I get out more often like maybe four to four or five who's, times a week. Who's closer to Rich Stadium you or, or Rob? Uh, I am. Okay. Yeah Rob's Rob's north of me, in the kind of northwest. How far is but, he from you? Like, um, a, if you're a drive-wise, if you're to drive to his house in non-rush non hour. Yeah, I mean, I, I have a rough idea. I haven't been to his house. I have a rough idea where it's at, and I yeah. think it's probably about, like, 20 minutes. Uh, So if he said, hey, Chris, I need you to come over and help me shovel snow. <laughs> <laughs> like, I have to do my driveway first. I can't get anywhere. <laughs> yeah. I say that's what you have kids for. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, so that's... That's the weather this well, weekend. Did you have a good uh, holiday break, or did you work during the break? Um, I worked a couple days. I worked um, like Tuesday, <clears throat> the Tuesday and Wednesday after Christmas. Yeah. Um, just to just to get a couple days there, but I um, I'd say that the so I had a what would it have been like a three-day weekend for christmas but um then i worked two days and then i had a f then i had five days off no uh, i had two weeks mm, so that was nice, nice. <clears throat> yeah past years i've taken the whole week off in between i don't know exactly why well but um the the five days were more relaxing than not that we did a lot for yeah Christmas or anything like that but it still kind of took up enough of each day that um, I was kind of looking forward more to the New Year's break because there were less social obligations. <laughs> <laughs> how's your uh, how's your arm that was all bruised up uh, from catching your mom's friend it's actually getting worse and i don't know if it's because of the cold you know how cold can affect injuries but um mm -hmm. i start rehab uh tuesday so because oh, okay. i still can't lift lift more than a gallon of milk mm. yeah so uh is the bruising still there or is it just no the, the, bru the bruising's totally gone totally yeah gone it's just dealing with 
that tear or whatever the hell happened. Mm-hmm. Are you doing uh, physical therapy for it, or is that yeah, where you're going to start? I, yeah, yeah, I'm going to start on Tuesday. They never get permission from insurance companies to do it when you need it. It's always, mm. like, off, you know. Yeah. And then by the time you get it, they're booked up, and then you have to wait wait on them. So I should have probably started last week and... Now I'm starting a week later or two weeks later. But at least I, I mean, it's still bothers me. So hopefully I can build up the strength in it again. Yeah. Like I couldn't lift a long box if you, if you told me to do it now, I couldn't do it because of my arm. I can do a short box, but not a long box. I guess you really have to take care of that then. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's your, like your true motivation. Maybe they can work that into your physical therapy, like put a a box of comics on the other side of the room and <laughs> yeah. use it like a carrot on a stick for you. Yeah. Here's a bunch of modern comics, and here's some golden age. You want to lift it? You want to take that in? <laughs> <laughs> How bad do you want it? <laughs> yeah. Be your motivation. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it helps when I put, like, a compression thing on it. Like, you know how they have those compression... It's like a compression sock, but one for your elbow. Yeah. I had to take one to work this week because just typing was annoying after long oh, yeah. periods of typing, keeping my arm up. Yeah, that that makes sense, yeah. Yeah, it's kind of... Sitting at a computer all day is rougher on one's body than yeah. you might expect if you... Don't do it. Yeah, saving okay. lives uh, is not recommended at my age. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, I guess you should have been doing like uh, exercises beforehand, like practicing. Yeah, your, I didn't uh, know that was going to happen, or I would have. I would have done stretch, stre stretching exercises, you know. Because yeah. my back, my back is all jacked up too, because I. I didn't, like, go on it, like, she was falling, and I had to, like, dive sideways. So, like, everything is just not aligned right. Yeah. Yeah, you kind of did a... She wasn't a small woman, and mm -hmm. and then gravity doesn't... Falling <laughs> puts extra strain on the body. So, like, I can't even, I have trouble laying in bed now. Like, I have to, mm. I post a lot of stuff, like, I'm reading in the middle of the night. Well, I'm reading in the middle of the night because my back hurts so bad that I have to sit up for a while. And, yeah, I'm a mess. Yeah. <laughs> uh, hopefully you'll be able to straighten some of that out. 
Yeah, I'll work on the arm and then hopefully the back will work itself out. Yeah. But other than that, it was pretty good. Um, holiday. I can't complain. Other than it goes by so fast, the more I'm away, the more I realize I really do want to retire. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I don't ever miss it, it, say, like, I just, I don't ever say, like, I can hardly wait to get back to work or any of that stuff, you know? Yeah. Yeah, sometimes some people really, you know, they really are motivated by their work and... Um, or they hate their home life that they... Yeah. <laughs> I'd rather that's, be at work. <laughs> that's, that's the other side of it, yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, that's true. That can be part of it, too. Yeah, it's like, I don't want to go home to my spouse. I'd just rather just work as long as I possibly can. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, that can be part of it too. Mm-hmm. It's not the same as like you know you can still be motivated to do a good job and you know have good work ethic and stuff like that, but not necessarily live for work. You know, yeah. Some people, some people don't want to retire. They don't really know what to do with themselves when they do retire. You know, that's true. There's a uh, lot of people like that. Yeah. They go mad just not doing anything or not. They don't have any hobbies or anything to go back on. Right. Whereas me, I, I'm perfectly happy. I have lots of hobbies. And I even like doing stuff, like just doing stuff around the house. It's like different. Yeah. Yeah, I, I'm not someone who really needs a job to keep busy well, yeah. I could I have plenty of int- I have more interests than I have time for you know yeah same here um so I just you know but I'm not independently wealthy so yep <laughs> alright do you want to get started with some uh retro Sure. What do you have for us? Yeah, just the the two of us today. Um, yeah, Rob, Rob is, I guess, doing some family stuff in the cold. I, I think whatever he's doing is maybe putting away Christmas ornaments or something. I don't know. <laughs> I guess it's <laughs> a good day time. to family time where you can't leave or get arrested by the police. <laughs> Yeah. And Joe is in minus 40 degree weather uh, at a book club talking about books. (laughs) Imagine if it was an outdoor book club. Their books would be frozen shut. That's right. Um, Yeah, so I got a couple of movies again. Um, this time, um, 
First one um, is Joe Kid. Um, this is from this is a Clint Eastwood western from the early seventies. Mm-hmm. Um, I was looking for short something shorter. And it was a list of Netflix movies that were around ninety minutes. And um, I've seen some of. I've seen, I think, a lot of uh, his other westerns. I, I know I've, I've seen some of the highly regarded ones, um, like the spaghetti westerns that he did and stuff. Um, this one seems like it's, you know, its reputation seemed to be that it's entertaining, but not as, you know, more more of an average film than some of his. What's considered a spaghetti ones. western? I think I watched one, but the Italian director. Yeah, what... they, yeah, there was like a trend at the time to in um in Italy in Italy to make uh, westerns. Yeah, make westerns. Um, Sergio Leone was a big um, you know motivator for that. His the popularity of his movies. Yeah. For a while there, there was a lot of popularity of the. I don't like the pretentiousness of it. Like, I I saw one and it's all camera angles. Like, let's look at the ang- eyes for a long time, or um, I'm gonna watch a fly go into this guy's mouth. <laughs> you know, like <laughs> it, it's just it's, it's so weird. And uh, what did I see? It was like how the West was. Something about the West was won, but it wasn't how the West was won. It was something else. It was a Charles Bronson one, and it had Henry Fonda and I can't remember who the other actor was, but uh, it was definitely a spaghetti western, like the Good, the Bad, and Ugly. I think that's considered a spaghetti western. Um, the Good, the Bad, and the Ugly definitely is one of. One of them, um, one of the best known ones. Um, uh, there is a movie, How the West Was Won, with Henry Fonda. Um, that's an American movie, though. No, it's not How the West. It's How the West. God, I can't think about what it's called. Um, you said Henry Fonda, right? It does have Charles Henry Fonda. Charles Bronson, though. Um, yeah, Charles Bronson isn't in. Well, I can look. At, I can look my lists because um, I write down everything I ever watch. Oh, Once Upon a Time in the West. Thank you. Yeah. Oh, yeah, Henry Fonda is in that too. That's what was yeah. telling me. Yeah. Uh... Once Upon a Time in the West. Yeah, that's another Sergio Leone one. <laughs> that one has a ridiculous opening, in my opinion. I, I, I don't know. I, 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 I like the art of it, and I like the, I, I can appreciate the film of it. Mm-hmm. But it has like a, an, an aura of pretentiousness that <laughs> I just. Just the way it's shot. It takes away the realism, in my opinion. Mm. Yeah, I mean, it's more, maybe more artistic. It doesn't bother me, though. I mean, I kind of like it. 
Yeah, it takes me out a little bit. Like the there there in in the one we just mentioned, the the good, the bad, and the ugly. There's mm-hmm. a scene with three guys kind of like having a stare down competition, and it lasts forever. <laughs> like it, it seems like five minutes. Like it's <laughs> yeah, I mean some of the maybe the impact of that and the <clears throat> may have given that it's been like over fifty years, you know, since yeah. it was made. Like, um, and this one, it Charles Bronson is called like harmonica because he'll like play a harmonica. Like before he guns somebody down, <laughs> <laughs> and he plays the same tune at the very end. They show why, like they do show why he plays the harmonica. He basically um, the the one bad guy Henry Fonda is actually the bad guy. Which is that normal? Because I always think of him as a good guy, but he... no, I think maybe that was intentional to kind of like do the opposite of what you expect from him or something yeah he he was the he was a very bad man in how that one movie once upon a time in the west he he is not a good person like he was the evil bad there's a lot of bad people in it but he's the bad bad mm. and uh he uh he made charles bronson as a young kid like hold up his brother while he was being hanged. So like as soon as he his legs gave out, his brother would die. And he put a harmonica in his mouth. <laughs> and then that it was kind of like a revenge story, you know. Is he he was to seek out Peter Fonda, but let let let's get into your your movie Joe Kid cuz I've never seen this one. Yeah. Um so Basically, uh, Clint Eastwood plays Joe Kid. You know, no surprise there, really. Um, it takes place in New Mexico in the early 1900s, and um, he is a bounty hunter. Or used to be a bounty hunter, um, and it what's when it starts out, he's in jail. Um, there's kind of a humorous beginning because he's his attitude is real bad um and that's how he ended up in jail in the first place and he um you know pissed off the the sheriff and um he's kind of a mess in the beginning of the film like walking around with you know like old-fashioned men's shirts the they used to have like a separate piece inside the collar to hold up the collar you know that you could take out Mm-hmm. And like that, half of that is hanging out and like projecting out the side of his uh, neck there, and he's just kind of a mess. Um, but um, he's in jail um, with a, a Mexican revolutionary um, and a couple other people, and they have like a little bit of a. Um, negative initial re uh interaction um and that pisses off joe kid so that he's not a fan of this uh louis uh chama um and 
Chama is played by John Saxon, who's Italian, not Mexican. <laughs> um, I I thought he was kind of convincing. I mean, I don't, you know, that casting is not uh, something you would see today. Um, but uh, you very know, I common back then, though. Very common back then. I thought his Spanish. Like even pretty... even in the Magnificent Seven, the big bad is not Mexican. <laughs> Yeah. 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 No, I think, I think his whole posse and stuff were, um, were genuinely Mexican. Um, but not like I was scrutinizing them, but, um, but, uh, yeah, he, I I think, I think, I think that's the typical thing is like, they'll have the main bad is, is non-Mexican, but then the, the people that work for him, they are Mexican actors. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's kind of why I'm sort of assuming yeah. without like, because that tends to be the case, like you said. And I mean, uh, as a non-Spanish speaker, his John Saxon Spanish seems like it sounded pretty good. I, I don't know for sure, but um, I'm sure they have a. What'd you say his nationality was? Italian. Yeah. Yeah, I don't. I don't know much about Italian actors, but I know English actors. They're incredible. Um, so is Australian with being able to project accents. Like I, I just find it incredible how, yeah, I mean, John, sorry. Yeah. Just, just how some of the actors could have this heavy English accent and then you see him in a film and it's highly Americanized, like s- smooth. You know what I mean? Like they don't have to think about it or strain themselves to try to do it. It's just natural. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, England is smaller than Texas. It's smaller than, like, 10 or 11 or more um, states. Uh, in other words, there's, like, 10 or, or more states that are bigger than the entirety of England, and, and yet there's multiple different English accents. And so I think a lot of English action actors, they practice accents right from the beginning of their career because they play people from different parts of England mm-hmm. and maybe get more practice at it. But um, So actually, John Saxon, I'm just looking at, he's Italian by ethnicity, but he is American um, by nationality. He was born in Brooklyn. His father was also born in New York, but his mom was uh, um, was a... Uh, uh, Italian immigrant, um, but he did speak Italian primarily at home, and it says he also grew up speaking some Spanish. So maybe that's why he sounded pretty accurate because he didn't learn just learn it for the film. He may have already spoken some Spanish. But I just also just learned his his real name wasn't John Saxon; it was Carmine or or Oricio, O R R I C O. <laughs> It's definitely someone that took a stage name that was more American sounding. Anyway, so he plays Chama, who's um, the main kind of conflict of the film is that he has someone who's organizing. He's like a revolutionary has organized a um, peasant revolt against the local uh, white landowners. Um, 
because the landowners are like throwing people off of their ancestral lands um, in the area and stuff. And he um, he raids uh, um, he raids the courthouse with his his group. Um, and uh, so yeah, actually, so they they so Chama and Joe Kid meet during this raid. It's not uh, it's not till after Kid gets out of prison, or not really. You know, he's in the holding cell in the sheriff's office. Um, so Kid gets kind of pulled into this raid happening and um, has a little altercation with Chama's group. So he ends up getting hired by one of the local landowners named Frank Harlan, who's played by Robert, Robert Duvall. Um, and so initially kids not interested in helping out, um, the landowner. Um, and, um, but when kid goes back to his own ranch and finds out that Chama's group had attacked his ranch and um hurt one of his workers and stuff um he uh decides to um join up with um frank harlan's group and stuff but pretty early on like you they introduce kind of a tension between joe kid and um the landowners posse there's like they're pretty ruthless and i think you kind of see like this is a 70s western not like you know one from earlier than that where you know it's not just like the white guys are the good people you know um it's the whites that turn out to be the most most ruthless and it kind of turns you know a lot some of the um stereotypes uh, around from earlier westerns um and uh Joe Kidd's not like he's a bounty hunter, but he has a certain ethics to him um, that and rules that he follows, and he's um, not happy with when they're trying to track down this Chama and find out where he's at, and they're um, shooting and killing um, Mexicans that they apprehend to question. Uh, he's not too happy with them, um, and they also have like some sort of new technology for the time like they're um some of their like some of them have long-range rifles that are kind of would be kind of cutting edge for the time and one has like a partially automatic um weapon so he he continues to work with them but there's kind of some tension building there uh between in their methods and so when they finally stop at um the place that forms like kind of the middle of the film is this uh village that's near chama's hideout mountains and um they the landowners group they force everybody in the village into the church and they basically shout from the village out into the mountains and uh, i don't know if it was a natural echo or they added the echo but it was i did find it believable that they could hear each other um you know 
shouting. Um, not really so much back and forth, but I found it, I found it. I did find it believable that Char Charma up in the mountains could hear them shouting their threats or whatever. But they basically tell them, you know, they're gonna kill five of the Mexican villagers um, unless he shows himself, gives himself up to them. <clears throat> um, and um, they uh, are going to then kill five more and kill five more and that kind of thing. And so things at this point, kid starts to shift away from um, even more so of, you know, he's kind of at this point kind of like you kind of tell he's not really planning to work with the landowner anymore, but he's in a situation where they're all better armed than him and he doesn't really have a weapon. Um, so for a while, he's just kind of biding his time and trying to figure out uh, what to do. Um, and things come to a head kind of when Chama continues to not show up. So they actually have five villagers lined up in front of the church and are getting ready to, sh to shoot them. So he kind of is pressed in to finally take an action. Um, and there's also... A woman, uh, a young woman who um, it turns out is Chama's girlfriend or lover or whatever, and um, that's in the village, and she's uh, kind of the more prominent role among the villagers. Um, and she has kind of like a, a will to fight and um sort of helps joke it out a little bit um when he finally does decide to make a move and it kind of like in retrospect like watching it in 2024 like some of the sequence where he decides to start making his move against the the group reminds me sort of like a of a video game level because he um it's kind of like using like it's kind of like a stealth level where he's trying to sneak around and take out a couple guys before the other guys notice to you know narrow down their numbers um and he manages to get his hands on a gun because the the priest uh actually finds one and gives it to him um but he doesn't really use it um because one of the first the first guy that he takes out um is basically the guy that goes up for there's a bell tower on top of the church and he goes up and the guy that uh, goes up there is one that he's had some negative interactions with. Like <laughs> it's one of those guys that are uh, angry all the time and um, doesn't know when to back down, you know? Um, so he challenge, he challenges Joe kid and loses and then tries to challenge him again. Uh, Joe kid punches him in the throat. So he's, like for a good portion there he's like talking a real raspy voice and so that's the guy who goes up for watch in the bell tower did, did he did he learn his lesson or did he like still angry about it no he was <clears throat> so before he goes up in the bell tower for his watch he comes in and um finds joe kid sleeping on the bench in the church and he pulls out his weapon and it's only because he's uh interrupted um by one of the other men coming in or something like that happens um to interrupt him killing kid um but he's still pissed off when he goes up to do his watch on the top of the uh tower 
and he's the first guy that Joe Kid takes out because he um, climbs up the ladder underneath the trap door to the bell tower, and then um, listens as the guy's walking back and forth, um, and just continually walking back and forth across the bell tower. And it's real narrow up there. And so he kind of leans over to the side, still holding on to the ladder, but bracing himself in the corner. And then just as he hears the guy about to um, approach the trap door again, he pulls the trap door open. The guy just steps into the hole and falls to his death. (laughs) So it's kind of like a complicated um, method there but it kind of visually it kind of worked um and he's able to get then get up there and steal the guy's hat um it kind of that was kind of the moment at this point where it was didn't seem to really make sense because he he steals the guy's hat and gun and that's enough for the people on the ground to think that it's still the right guy but they talk to him and he imitates the guy's raspy voice to respond. But I felt like if they were close enough to hear his raspy voice from up there, they would be close enough to see that it's not actually the guy. (laughs) (laughs) But, uh, it was a minor thing. Um, but, uh, yeah, so eventually, so it's enough of a, he creates enough of a distraction, uh, that, uh, gun battle breaks out, but, he releases all of their horses and then steals one for himself and or takes his or something and uh him and the inchama's girlfriend escape up to the mountains and they confront chama and tell him basically kind of convince him that he should go back to town and try his chances with the justice system there that he should actually stand trial and um so there's kind of a sequence from that the next sort of main sequence of the film is them the three of them now he's kind of joe kid has kind of switched sides now he's working with chama to get him back to the town safely so that he can stand trial and the landowners and them are um pursuing them and still trying to um kill chama and now kid as well um but uh there was one so they basically that's kind of the rest of the film is there you know there's there's another gunfight and um that back at the town where the landowners get to the town um before chama and kid and um try to set up a trap and post men up on top of the buildings um and that kind of thing and um <laughs> this kind of amusing sequence where um they uh kids trying to figure out how to get him into town um but there's really kind of no safe way for them to walk in there's one poor um mexican um from chama's group that like everyone else in his group is sent away when Chama decides he is going to turn himself in for real. Um, but they keep one guy behind and the guy just has a miserable look on his face the whole time. Cause he knows that it's probably not good for him that he's being asked to stick around. And um, sure enough, like he's the one that's sent in first to see if it's safe to enter town. He just gets shot and killed. 
um, falls off his horse. But um, there's a pretty amusing sequence when the way that they decide to actually get into town is there's a um, small uh, steam train outside of town that uh, kid basically uses. Um, he gets the train going and they um, it's one of those like old style setup where they just have like a wooden board at the end of the track to tell the train, you know, they should have stopped by this point, <laughs> slowed down, you know, by this point, he just keeps it going full bore and blasts right the train right into the town saloon uh, where a couple of the landowners guys are drinking and they just open fire from the, uh, inside the saloon from the windows of the train. <laughs> so it's kind of a fun sequence, but, um, yeah, I mean, like I said, it's a short, short movie. It was actually written, um, by Elmore Leonard, um, which, uh, you know, has been become pretty well known partially through Quentin Tarantino being a big fan of his. Um, so he actually wrote the script for it, and it was um, directed by John Sturgis, who um, also directed the Midnight Magnificent, Magnificent Seven, Seven, The Great Escape. Yeah. So it's 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 decent. I, I would say you know it was even though it's kind of interesting that he switches sides and stuff. Like um, Eastwood is typical like Eastwood and a Western, you know, he doesn't talk a lot. Um, and it kind of pivots on his decision to switch sides such as, such as it were, but because, you know, he's kind of not super expressive. There isn't a whole lot to lot that that's not explored very much, you know? Um, but it's a, I'd say it's an entertaining, um, short watch. Sounds good. Yeah. I haven't seen it, so if I ever get in the mood for a Western, it's still on Netflix. They don't always stay there. <laughs> no. Yeah. I mean, I'd say there's definitely better better Westerns, but um, it's something to kind of put on when you're maybe doing something else. I think it's something I'd want to pay attention to just, just based on your, like I, the things that I, I can put on like and do other things are not movies typically, Mm -hmm. you know, they're, they, 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 they're YouTube videos or something that like, just like a podcast, like a YouTube podcast and I could just put it on in the background and I really don't have to rewind it or say, Oh, what happened? Um, that makes sense. So I, I'm going to talk about comics, but I did watch one movie. I'm going to mention real quickly. I, a rewatch. I, I watched the director's cut because a comic book came out of it. Like, I don't, I don't know why they made a comic book out of it, but, um, I, I wanted to rewatch the film because I read the comic and other than the ice pick murders, I didn't, I didn't see the relevance of how it tied into the movie. So the movie is basic instinct. The comic book is basic instinct. Um, 
it's published by uh, Massive with a sub imprint of Samaritan, which used to be Behemoth. So I don't know like what goes on with that company or what Massive is doing, but Massive seems to be underneath the whatnot um, publisher, and now they they for some reason they distanced themselves from whatnot and became massive and then there's like sub imprints underneath massive but i but i wanted to watch basic instinct with michael douglas and sharon stone there was mm -hmm. only two things i remembered of it i remembered her crossing her legs and not her not wearing panties because when i saw that at the film that was like a a big scene that was like a scene and i remembered the ending where you never really know who the murder is you you, you have they make you believe it's someone, mm -hmm. but but it, you're you have doubts because of the way it ends. And at the end, there she's asking him questions, and underneath the bed is an ice pick. So you're like, is she the killer? <laughs> but Michael Douglas is the cop. She's she's the she's a writer that writes about books that. Um, have the murders in them and then they actually happen like it, it's crazy it's like she could see the future and, and then the murder plays itself out but mm -hmm. um yeah i i just watched rewatched that because it was on and uh i wanted to read the comic book but i'm going to talk about hong kong fooey so uh hong kong fooey was a cartoon that I briefly saw when it came out in 1974 on Saturday mornings. It didn't last long, but what I knew it from was in the 80s, uh, the USA Network had a Cartoon Express throughout the 80s, and they always played Hong Kong Fooey. And I noticed the voice of Hong Kong Fooey was Scatman Crothers, and I always I always liked the Scatman. Um, his voice is just very distinctive. And uh, I enjoyed Hong Kong Fui, who's basically a janitor that works at the police department. Um, and then a cat hangs out with him. His name is Spot, but Spot, <laughs> I don't know why his name is Spot. Like, because he's got stripes. <laughs> he doesn't have spots. <laughs> so, like, I don't know why they, they chose to do that or if that's supposed to be funny. Uh, his Clark Kent identity is Penrod... Penry Pooch, so they call him Penry, <laughs> and uh, he works, there's a Sarge there called Sergeant Flint, and then there's a, a female, I can't remember what her name is, but uh, she's like a female cop, and I, I should know her name because I just read it, but um, I, I finally got a comic book of Hong Kong Fui. Um, from Charlton, I, I've been on a Charlton kick, so anytime I can pick up Charlton, I, I, I do. And this is a pretty beat up copy. This is probably like it looks like a, a VG. The cover looks great, but the staples are loose. Like the pages are loose, even though it has a full comic book in it. And it, it's the the uh, cartoon basically had two. Two episodes per cartoon. So, like, if you watch Looney Tunes or Pink Panther, you would always have, like, multiple cart small segment cartoons within one 30-minute 
episode. Um, that's what this comic book did, except it did three three short stories. The first one's about a haunted house. I don't know why the Sarge and um, I'm gonna go, I'm gonna go look at what her name is, because uh, it would be in the voice casting, I think. Rosemary. So Rosemary, Officer Rosemary and Sergeant um, Flint, they they go to a haunted house. I don't know why they go to a haunted house. They just want to check it out. And uh, Penry just decides to take a nap outside of the haunted house. Well, they go in there and they actually get held up by a crook. So there's a crook in there that was using it as a hideout. And then Penry has to use his Kung Fu prowess as Hong Kong Fui to take that crook out. <clears throat> and later on, they find out that the play, they think that every time Hong Kong Fui is in the other room with all these hidden rooms, he yells out a lot of like karate things and they think it's a ghost like basically haunting them, <laughs> which, which is kind of funny and, and humorous when you see it in the comic book. Um so that that's how that story ends is they think the place is haunted but Penry actually ends up rescuing them not Hong Kong Fui because they fell into a a hole in the haunted house and he he basically pulled them out and then there's like a uh, Hong Kong Fui has this cool cool car uh, car that he drives around it looks like uh, an Asian uh, sort sort of like the the carts that they used to pull. I forget what those are called, where they, a, a human being would grab the the poles and then pull the people, but it's actually a car. Um, oh yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's like a taxi. Yeah, they, taxi. they had one in Seinfeld even where Kramer like <laughs> was trying to make a business business of it, and he was trying to get homeless people to pull it so he would make money, but. Um, <laughs> The, the, he so Hong Kong Fui has that, and he's getting he's getting attacked by one of his villains with the electrical beams, and and that's they actually defeat him. And in the third story, um, it's pretty much just like Hong Kong Fui is like he's like me getting out of bed. He just doesn't want to work. He's like <laughs> he's tired, and he's like, oh, I just just what do I not have the right vitamins or anything? And he decides to like take a nap in his. He used to. He used to use. You know how Superman uses a phone booth. Well, he used yeah. to jump into a file cabinet with three drawers in it, <laughs> and he used to change into Hong Kong Fui in inside the file cabinet. Come out as Hong Kong Fui, but it, it's pretty much the day in the life of Hong Kong Fui. Um, it, it was a lot of fun, and uh, it made it brought back memories of me coming home from school in the 80s and I must have been pretty old <laughs> middle school age when this was happening and, and sitting there and watching like the four o'clock afternoon cartoons and seeing Hong Kong Fui because there's not a hell of a lot of episodes of this but the, the, it seems like they played them over and over and over again there were only 16 episodes which is pretty low it must have not been a successful it 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 must have been a very successful cartoon in syndication 
but not one that was a, an everlasting thing in Saturday mornings. Yeah. It just lasted one season. Yeah, maybe. Yeah, because I, I remember kind of coming up, seeing some of his cartoons some when I was a kid. Yeah, he had Scatman Crothers and Richard Dawson from Family Feud. <laughs> so, some big names as voices, voice actors on there. Oh, yeah, somebody else that was in... Um... Joe Kidd was Dick Van Patten. Oh, was, the eight is enough. That's yeah, what I remember the, that guy from. He was the manager of the hotel in town. This is kind of a small part, but. Yeah, it's weird how if I start watching older films, the linkages you can find mm-hmm. in actors, like unrelated. Like I watched The Misfits with Marilyn Monroe. And there's one guy in there that's like the guy who flies the plane. He is the vi- the Mexican villain in uh, The Magnificent Seven. So it's like coincidentally that I watched them very close together without knowing there was like a connection, you know? Yeah. Yeah, it's funny when that happens. Sometimes... Like I know, last time the movies I talked to talked about were both connected to a movie from the prior episode because I ended up looking at looking into the movie I watched and following some thread from that to another movie that I watched. Yeah, I, I find out that that happens to me a lot when I watch Amazon Prime because Amazon mm. Prime is very like at least for me. It's got a very mm-hmm. good algorithm that basically says, "Oh, you watch this Charles Bronson movie," or it it like links all the actors to all the, the movies that are available on their streaming. So it's like, "Oh, I want to follow that rabbit hole," and then I end up, you know, on a Charles Bronson kick where I've watched almost all of his films. But <laughs> um, I, I like that feature. Netflix used to do it, but they don't do it as well, in my opinion. They uh, they give me recommendations, but it's it doesn't scratch the itch as much as the algorithm and Amazon Prime does. Hmm. Interesting. Um. So yeah, the other. Um. Speaking of older films, the other one. Um. I was going to talk about was the Philadelphia story. Um, this is quite a bit older than the last one. This is from 1940. Um, and was directed by George Q. Cor, um, who also um, directed um Gaslight, A Star is Born, uh, My Fair Lady. Um, and this has um, Cary Grant, Catherine Hepburn, and James Stewart um, all in it. Um, and um, all actors I've seen in a lot of other stuff and liked uh, and like, but I hadn't seen this one. Um, and, um, 
it's uh was based on a broadway play um it's one of those situations where the broadway play was the prior year and they kind of turned they went and turned it right into a film um and um it was sort of set up as a possible um return or comeback for Catherine Hepburn because she apparently um had had a bunch of films that were unsuccessful prior to this so she was trying to get her box office mojo back um and um it's mostly a comedy kind of romantic comedy um it takes place as you might guess near philadelphia um technically it's like uh, philadelphia mainline so it's like a very wealthy um still i believe very wealthy um suburb uh, sort of of um philadelphia um and hepburn plays a woman um she's a she's wealthy um daughter of a family from that area and um named um tracy lord and um so it starts out with a uh, kind of amusing scene where um carrie grant who plays ck dexter haven um they basically the movie starts with them divorcing basically they there's a little short scene where they're fighting she's kicking him out of the house i think or he's leaving or both um you know and he was just um didn't measure up to her standards you know he drank too much and um so she's like breaking his one of his golf clubs and throwing him out of the house and he turns around and like uh pushes like pushes her down on the ground um and that sort of jumps forward um to when she's gonna marry uh a new guy named george kitteridge who you know is supposedly much more proper and type of um person that she um should marry but he's also kind of like um what they call nouveau riche new money you know he's um unlike her family it's she's not you know he's he's worked his way up um and earned his money um more recently and uh not you know not from this like storied family of wealth um and um so james stewart comes into it um as um macaulay connor um who is a reporter who really aspires to be a serious writer um and is just a reporter because he needs to make money so he comes with a photographer a woman named liz 
who they kind of have sort of a romantic relationship, though it's more kind of like a situation where Liz is waiting for him to grow up and mature enough um, to recognize their connection. Um, they uh, are working for this magazine who sends them basically to cover the wedding. The, you know, the wedding's a big enough deal that this New York magazine is going to cover it. And, um, but uh, they aren't, the family themselves and Tracy, they're not keen on really having the newspaper there or the magazine there. So it turns out that Dexter, um, her former husband, Cary Grant, in the intervening time since they split up, he was working with the newspaper um, in another country. And so he comes in and says that they come up with this plan, basically, that he'll introduce them as friends of her brother. Uh, and the reason that's plausible that is because her brother's working as a diplomat in another country. So, you know, they haven't really communicated recently. Um, but this cover doesn't work very well. It doesn't last very long. They're not, you know, it comes out pretty quickly that they are really a reporter and a photographer. And so, um, it comes out the real kind of reason that they end up being allowed to stick around is that, um, Tracy's father is um, not present in the first part of the film because he's outside the house because he's involved in an affair with the dancer. And so she's really annoyed with her father for, you know, um, risking the family's reputation that way. Um, and kind of like there's kind of a connection made between Cary Grant's character and her father and her frustration with men and their behavior and stuff. And um, they they do a little bit of they build a little humor out of the fact that initially um, Tracy has this older uncle um, who's a real lech and like pinches women's behinds and um they introduce him to some people as her father, but then her actual father shows up and they tell him he has to be the uncle, but, um, and there's a lot of confusion that ensues due to that, but they, um, eventually have to come clean about that and, and be who they actually are. But the, the main middle section thrust of the film is once everyone's like in place and all these people are kind of in the same mansion, um, Tracy is probably like subconsciously having some doubts about the wedding that she's going to have to this guy, George, who's seems a bit, a little bit like maybe not the best match for her. He's and romantically cause he's pretty like just straight laced and she's not really, she gets extremely drunk. Uh, and so does Mike, um, the reporter, James Stewart's character, and they end up, um, kissing. Um, and there's a bunch of like 
hijinks the next morning where she's not sure what happened and she's worried that maybe she slept with them and um and all this stuff and um it a lot of humor and stuff comes about as a result of all that confusion and um but because it's 1940 they you know didn't actually sleep together um and um you know george shows up and finds out about everything that happened even though she didn't sleep with mike you know he basically was wasn't really in love with a real person he was just in love with an idea of what she thought she was um or he just had this ideal um and so their marriage breaks down um but all the on the day of the wedding and all the people are actually already in their the pews and the church and everyone's waiting so they're about to call off the wedding um and um mike volunteers that he'll marry her you know he's still kind of like confused as to everything that happened and their the evening that they had together but tracy's at this point picked up on the fact that liz the photographer is very much in love with him and he hasn't realized that yet and she's not in love with him she was just having you know like a a lot of doubts and drank too much and stuff and um and so at this point dexter clark um Cary Grant steps in and um, you get the sense that part of the reason that he's there in the first place was to try to win her back all along. He um, offers to remarry her and she accepts. So they make use of the fact that all those people are already there for a wedding to get remarried to each other. (laughs) Um, So it was very kind of silly in some ways but and and part of it was that like in 1940 like you really couldn't um you know divorce was not really uh socially acceptable to depict so if they were going to have these characters divorce divorce at the beginning of the film they kind of had to um have them remarry at the end of it but working within those constraints i think they told an entertaining film um i a lot of the films that i've seen of james stewart are when he's a bit older than he is here he's like all the actors are kind of like in their 30s so it was like he looked really young to me uh, from what i'm used to seeing it was interesting to see him um when he is really drunk playing playing someone that's real drunk because um it's a little like he usually doesn't play that kind of character that would that would get uh, real wasted. Um, I always think of It's a Wonderful Life when I think of him. Yeah, It's a Wonderful Life and um, the Hitchcock films that he did. I've seen um, Rear Window. Real Rear Window and Vertigo multiple times. Yeah, and he was he was definitely older at that point, but. Um, <clears throat> So it's kind of neat to see him in, in a younger, in one of his earlier films. Um, and I always like Cary Grant. He's just a charismatic guy. North by Northwest. Another another actor, yeah, very much <laughs> known by, known for 
uh, a lot of Hitchcock films. I, I enjoy him in a lot of those. And um, screw. So this kind of, yeah, it was kind of like, I think intended to be like a screwball comedy. Speaking of Cary Grant, I would. It's not as fast paced and quippy like if you've ever seen his girl, his his girl Friday, um, by Howard Hawks. That's where it's just like the dialogue is happening so fast and the jokes are coming so quick. It's like you almost miss some of them, and it's like just so like it's just the script is just really well uh, crafted. Um, I didn't. This this didn't have that quite that same pace to it, but um, it was interesting. Um, in 1956, so like 16 years later, they put this out again as a musical, and it's basically the same plot, but it was called High Society. It was a musical and had Bing Crosby, Frank Sinatra, and Grace Kelly in it. Interesting. Um, same story, but different uh, format, uh, basically. Um, wonder which was more successful. I don't know. Um, I don't know what was more successful. Let's see. It earned the box office. This earned two million. Um, That's a lot for nineteen forty. For nineteen forty, <laughs> over over two million. It had a profit, and then eight hundred eighty-five thousand elsewhere for a profit of one million two hundred seventy-two thousand dollars in nineteen forty. That's a lot of money. Um, I could bring up one of those calculators, but I don't think I'm. Um, yeah, the, go the, that far. Don't don't account for the the what do you call it the inflation. Inflation. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and uh, you know his. Historically speaking, critically speaking, you know, it's it is considered a classic with you know universal acclaim. Whereas, um, I mean, I know I've I haven't seen High Society. I know it's um, I know I had heard of it. Um, obviously, it also had three very uh, well-known stars. Um, Wonder what its success was. It had mixed reviews. Its box office. Well, it was actually one of the ten highest grossing films of 1956. Earned. Well, it earned more money, but it was cost a lot more, and so its profit was one one million one hundred forty-eight thousand. So its profit wasn't much different, but it, but they spent more money on it. And uh, the cost of inflation. So. Yes, and so yeah, 1956. So a million wasn't as much 16 later, 16 well, years I, later. Well, but... when I imagine when you do like a Hollywood musical, all of the dance, you know, like yeah, there's just so much more of a elaborate cast usually in these old musicals, you know. Big, uh, yeah, the production numbers and stuff um yeah i think musicals used to be some of the most expensive wow like back... louis armstrong's in that movie that's pretty cool i got me huge louis armstrong like he's even on the cover of that yeah. high society yeah behind the three of them yeah with his trumpet mm-hmm. i um yeah i think back before like you know nowadays we think the more special effects a movie has the more expensive it is i think back in this time 
where special effects weren't really CG wasn't didn't exist. I think musicals were the ones that musicals and like the big like historical productions like were the more expensive ones. Yeah. But <clears throat> so that's my other movie. All right. So um, I'm gonna talk about. Michael Lisner, um, who who I haven't been a big fan of, which is interesting. This is like a newly acquired taste. Um, I, I I never liked his art style that much, and now he's mostly known for drawing like dynamite covers. So mm. he he's the Cry for Dawn. Like I think most people know him from Cry for Dawn or Dawn, and uh, he has uh a really beautiful art style. It just never really clicked for, with me for some reason until he drew James Bond. And then when he started to do the Bond covers, I was like enamored with him. And then he came out with a cover um, for Painkiller Jane. I think it, no, yeah, it was one of Palmiotti's books. I don't remember if it was Painkiller Jane or the other one, but I started to like go back and like say, God, I I really love this guy's art. And then I had, as the background, like I say, I often put on YouTube, uh, cartoonist kayfabe. Um, I had that mm-hmm. on, and they they were they were breaking down Dawn, not Cry for Dawn, which is her first appearance, but Dawn, which came out from Sirius uh, later, and. They were going by. They were doing like a page analysis of it. You know, they're just breaking it down, and I was like, "Holy crap, this art is beautiful!" And they didn't really. They never really go over things like in terms of story too much. It's mostly from an art perspective. So they like look at it from art, and they say, "Oh, look, look how he broke down this panel and how this looks." But they don't really tell you too much about the plot. So I didn't really know what I was really getting into. You know, like. So I, I, I bought a, a short run on eBay that had four issues of the six. So there's six-issue title, uh, Dawn, and this came with one, two, three, and six. It didn't have four or five. And I read it this weekend. I read one and two, and I, I really started to get into the story because it, it really has a lot of undertones about religion and I, I don't know where he's going with it. I don't know if it's like a self-examination of how he is doing it, but um, it's kind of hard to explain. It, it's like a post-apocalyptic world in 19... It was... Uh, what was... They were in New York City. And in this world, uh, there's this Darien Ahsoka or Ahsoka, and a Janus Goldbaum, who are New Yorkers in this time. And like every Saturday night, they just take a b- bunch of weapons and they go out on, you know, the, the Times Square and they beat the shit out of people and take money. And it's like, this is like an event. It, it's almost like um, The Purge before the movies The Purge came out. Except it's like acceptable and it's within the law. Like you go out on Saturday night and you you're, you take out your weapons and you can beat the crap out of each other and take their money. It is it's so weird. 
So it hmm. introduces the, those two, and then Dawn shows up, and she's kind of like the, I I don't know she, she knows about heaven and hell, and she just she's just there, and she has sex with Darian, and then she convinces Darian to go to this like church, and it's almost like there's people waiting in line, at this huge church. And I've always been fascinated with, uh, for English 101 in college, we had to, to to read this story, and I don't even remember what it was called. I just remember what it was about. It was about a line to get into heaven, and it was like, those that will be first will be last, and those that will be last will be first. And it was it was trying to say that the the people that were really thought they were going to be in first in line in heaven were last and the people that were going to be last were the ones that were first in line yeah so yeah so i I read that i was always fascinated with that and then this guy gets into this line and well he doesn't want to go into the line because this line is like miles and miles long and it's to get into a church and there's only one door into this church so like is this the gateway to heaven i don't know cuz this story is so weird so he just he he runs into like a homeless man near and he says what is this line you know like is there another way in and the homeless guy says no there's no other way in and he's like well for some reason the ground is flooding with water and he's telling the homeless guy you know if you don't get out of the way you're going to you're going to drown eventually so this guy Darian decides to scale the wall and cheat, essentially cut the line. And uh, he sort of gets into like what you would think is heaven. And he, when he, he runs into God, he looks exactly like a mirror image of himself. And the only thing I could think of is, you know, God made himself in the image of man. And maybe this guy is just a man that got to heaven and he gives him a task to go to hell and take the crown from Lucifer. So his goal is to get to hell and get the the crown from Lucifer and then take it back to heaven. And I don't know where this is going, but it's really fascinating. And it's really beautiful. Like I I thought I was I was buying this more for Dawn, but she's just she's just there. Like she seems to have knowledge of heaven and hell mm-hmm. and be able to guide things, but she's not she's not the story at all. And yeah. at least so far. And I, I I am fascinated from a religious perspective, especially because of what that little short story meant to me in college. Like I always think of that. Like when when people get real religious and stuff and they, they think they're high and mighty, I always I always think of that little uh, story I read, and it, 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 it like impacted me a lot. Like, um, and this this reminded me of that just because of the line. And this guy was trying to bypass that line, and he did get there. And then when he gets to see Lucifer, um, Lucifer looks exactly like him too. So it, it's just so bizarre, and. Uh, like I, I want to seek out the rest of the issues. I'm going to read three 
to see where it goes, but I don't think I'm going to read six without reading four and five because I'm I'm very interested in it now. And I, I it, this all started because of the kayfabe, but before kayfabe came on, it really started from the my interest in his art uh, started to grow over time, and I, I started to scope out the first appearance of Cry for Dawn, which isn't cheap, but I I, I am watching out for it. And I realized that Cry for Dawn is more of an anthology, and she's sort of like the the crypt keeper for the the anthology. So it kind of makes sense in how she's used in this story. Like she's not she's a passerby mm-hmm. and, and knows what's going on, but she's like Uatu and the Watcher in the What If comics. Like I don't, <laughs> you know, it's so weird. Um. But I'm very interested because I always like to explore religion, even though I'm not that religious. Yeah, I think that maybe maybe you said this, but I think that the last shall be first, first shall be last thing is uh, taken from uh, the Bible. That quote. It, that might be a quote from the Bible, but it was a short story that I read. Right. Interpreted yeah. by somebody. And I didn't know it came from the Bible. Yeah, I think they drew on that um, teaching. I think it's something Jesus says. Yeah. Made a story from it. So that's cool. Do you got anything else? I don't know. I just want to mention it. two things. I'm I'm going on yeah, a journey go in the 90s and I'm I'm reading Jim Valentino's Guardians of the Galaxy with Charlie 13, Nikki 6 or whatever. Nikki 6 is the guitarist from Motley Crue. <laughs> yeah. I forget what Nikki's last name was. Martin Nick next and um I I can't remember all their names, but uh it, it's pretty fascinating. I I I wanted I, I listened to a Liefeld podcast and I had all the issues. I, I just it was one of the things I bought I think maybe like twenty years ago and never read. So I said I'm gonna just, just go through this and the so far the first two issues are really awesome. And uh they have Taser Face in there and I, I think the, the movie Guardians of the Galaxy made fun of somebody that was called like taser face which was pretty fascinating because he shows up in the the first issue um the the they had they introduced something called the stark and uh they're the guardians are in search for captain america's shield so it's interesting that there's this thing called the stark well what happened is mars was gonna invade earth and um in the process of Tony Stark worried about the Martians getting his technology, he launched all his technology into space that landed on this remote planet of peaceful primitives. But because this landed on that planet, it created a bunch of technology freaks that destroyed their own planet. And became the Stark. And now they go from planet to planet, strip mining resources, and becoming more technical. And uh, that's who the villain is in the Guardians of the Galaxy. 
and then in New Warriors, um, I, I started uh, reading that, which this is a second read, but I don't remember a lot of it. And um, that is also a comic book that came out around the same time in the 90s. Like, to me, the 90s are... There, it was just a time of like explosion, and I, I think I, I appreciate the '90s so much, is because I was there for the explosion. Like I wasn't there in the '70s when, you know, I start. I, I was there, but I wasn't like vested into the. I, if I if I could afford a comic, it was like I'd have ten maybe a year, and then in the '80s I had. A, had a little bit more and in the 90s I had a lot more <laughs> so um, I got to explore more in the 90s and uh, it was a time for for blowing up and I, I'm gonna try to to make it through I, I know that I have the the squirrel mentality but I I, I think I'm gonna try to make my way through uh, new warriors and uh, guardians of the galaxy yeah I remember that time um because they kind of both debuted before towards the end of when i was first reading comics as a kid um but i i i definitely was like i remember jumping on new warriors from the start Uh and read um I don't know. I'd have to look at the covers to see which ones look familiar and which ones don't. But like, at least the first like half a year or six months or so, um, I remember getting New Warriors regularly. Um, I didn't latch on to that Guardians run, um, but I've always been in the. Uh, looking back, it's I've been curious about it because it was right around that same time. Yeah, uh, it's weird because they like I had read the stuff before. Like in Marvel, I think it was Marvel Spotlight or Marvel Premiere where they premiered. And then I read like the Korvac saga, you know, and the Avengers. And I read mm-hmm. the Defenders. So the, the Guardians were there. Um, I just didn't read like when they became popular. And th- this series like lasted quite a few issues. And it kind of like was Valentino's gateway. Like it was popular enough for him to get invited into the image crew and do Shadowhawk. Yeah. So Yeah. And and he wrote it and drew it. So it, it's it's like Todd did with Spider Man and Rob sort of did with Rob Rob always wrote like he wrote once uh Louise left the book, he wrote the stories and told the stories, but he always had a scripter. Uh, Valentino did everything like he he did everything uh, like Todd did for 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 his own Spider-Man not for Amazing where he had uh, Michelini with there but um, that's pretty it's pretty neat and you know how much I love the image guys so yeah yeah it's it's amazing I haven't read this I, I did read Valentino's uh, Valentino was one of the first independent comics I bought. Like, um, with what was Normal Man, I, I bought it at Don's Paperback Bookstore, along with some Judge Dreads and stuff. So it was like, I wasn't too much into indep- independent comics, but 
when I did get them, they were always color independence because I didn't want no black and whites at the time. Now I really appreciate the black and whites, but <laughs> at the time I, I didn't want anything to do with them. Yeah, I was the same way um, when I was a kid. I I think I might have had like one or two black and white comics, but I didn't, didn't really care about them too much. Yeah. Um, yeah, I don't think I had... I remember the Guardians comic being around then, and I don't think in this I had a entry point to it. Um, in the same way with New Warriors, there were characters I had seen seen other places or had connections to other books I was reading. Um, whereas I hadn't ever encountered the Guardians before, I didn't really know who they were. I I had read the only like cosmic stuff I had read were was. Um, the Ron Lim Silver Surfer, I did get into that. Yeah. Because I, I liked the art and stuff, but uh, other than that, I, it was kind of unfamiliar to me. Yeah, I found it interesting that Night Thrasher got uh, Nova to join by throwing him off a building. <laughs> <laughs> so, so he, he, had, he had found out from Reed that, that, uh, Richard Ryder had lost his powers or he didn't know why they he couldn't trigger his powers anymore. So he said he thought in his mind, well there's a chance that if I put him in danger I'll so 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 when he got his powers back, like Ryder was like he I can't believe you got my powers back. I've been trying to get these back forever. How did you know? And he goes, I didn't. <laughs> he just threw him off the building. He could have killed him, <laughs> but he got him to join. And then they like blackmailed Firestar to join because by by saying we're gonna give your identity if you don't join us, Namorita kind of joined on her own, and uh, Vance Astro joined because Night Thrasher has a hot dog vendor in front of the Avengers Mansion, who reports to him all the people that go in that come out, and he saw <laughs> Vance Astro, Marvel Boy, go in and come out and he's like huh the Avengers turned him down I'm gonna see if I can recruit him so like it's pretty pretty fascinating thing you know I'm yeah. enjoying I'm enjoying the journey for sure uh, but I, I pretty much enjoy everything um, that, that I read I I'm able to just use it as an escape mechanism and just get into it so yeah it's fun stuff um, if you if you get back into the app, I think most of it's there, you know. So yeah, you just probably yeah. Read it. The team definitely has like a weird history now because they've, like, there's that there was that initial run that was really it's it's still to this day the one that was the most successful and they've sort of brought them back in so many different times and it's like. Well, the only time they. They got them to like sort of come back at least in an event was uh, Civil War. Yeah, they connected. They them were they were the the instigators of it. Yeah. And then they sort of tried to launch, but you know, New Warriors also, which I have a full run of, um, that lasted from 1990 to 96. Mm-hmm. You know, 70 plus issues. And I, I think Guardians was roughly the same. 
Guardians of the Galaxy. Let's see. They were... Yeah, they were roughly the same. It's so weird how they s sort of died around the same time. It it's very strange to me. Um, but it could could be with the way the market was going, you know? Because the, the yeah. 90s, I think, is when... Around that time, I think, is when Marvel was going to go bankrupt. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it was... They were kind of around that same time but yeah it's like it had a weird identity from the start like you said the team kind of came together in a weird way and it was kind of a weird combination of characters and that was kind of part of its charm for the original run but like it sort of made it i think it sort of made it difficult to bring the title back and use because it's not as strong of a concept to form a team around it's kind of like always just ends up kind of being like the concept is that there isn't really a concept except for that it's a bunch of weird characters sort of thrown together yeah. <laughs> like it's kind well, of, kind I, of hard I, to make I, I do like the way valentino's approach to it though because it was so far, injected so far into the future he had uatu the watcher kind of like introduce it like it was a what if do you know what i mean like it didn't want to solidify itself as the future, but a possible future, which I really yeah. like about it. Sorry, I was still talking about the um, oh, new the warriors, new warriors. But, but, okay. Yeah, the Guardians, obviously, they've reinvented that into a whole new, different thing that's very successful, but isn't really super connected to the. It it is kind of related to what you're talking about, though. Is they changed the, you know, Giffen and all those guys created the new Guardians of the Galaxy, and then they blew up and then went into film that way. Um, yeah. Whereas the new Warriors, they haven't been able to, they had the opposite effect. They haven't become more popular at all. Yeah, that's true. It's kind of similar, and it's just one was one's kind of been successful, and one hasn't really found something that, like, redefined and now becomes what most people think of as new warriors and in, in the way that the guardians have. Yeah. But I uh, think that's all I had. So I, I think cool. we can wrap this one up. Thanks for doing the show. I didn't think we were going to have one. <laughs> yeah. No, but no uh, I was no glad to do it. And, yeah. uh, you can reach us at geekbrunchpodcast.com and you can reach me at Mike at Mike Myers Brunch on on X and what is the other thing? Uh Blue Sky. Blue Sky is oh, weird. Yeah. It's very peaceful Twitter. It seems very much like the the way Twitter used to be. Yeah. Because I might it, join that someday. Well, if you do, I have invites up the wazoo, so just hit me up if you ever want to okay. check it out. Yeah. Thanks. It it seems like a lot of a a more peaceful place, that's for sure. And I know that three of three or four people that I really would follow on Twitter have moved over there exclusively. Like they just said, I ain't gonna take the Twitter anymore. This is where I'm yeah. gonna be. <clears throat> so. Um, yeah, you can find us at geekbrunchpodcast.com and at Facebook at geekbrunchpodcast.com. Click the like button and follow the episode threads there. And we should, we should be back in two weeks if I can get two people together. 
Sounds good. All right. Take care, Chris. Yeah. All right. You too. Be safe. All right. Yep. Thanks. You too. Bye.